This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, an author podcaster tackles consciousness, science, and spirituality. So we have our conscious experience that's inside our head. But as soon as we acknowledge that, wow, there seems to be a lot of evidence that there's other stuff going on, whether it's psychic or near-death experience or after-life encounters or past life, whatever it is, you take all that stuff and bundle it up and say, there's some kind of extended consciousness out there that we need to at least acknowledge. And I would suggest that if we're not willing to look at evil as maybe a lens for looking into that, then you can't really get spirituality right. If you enjoy Conspiracy Unlimited, why not become a Conspiracy Unlimited Plus member? For just $1.99 per month, you'll gain access to two bonus, exclusive commercial-free episodes per month, plus access to my back catalog of episodes. That's over 350 episodes. To subscribe, just go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and click on Gain access to premium episodes. Again, go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and click on Get Access to Premium Episodes or click on the link in the episode notes. Conspiracy Unlimited Plus for less than $2 per month. Why not sign up today? Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Friday. Alex Tsikaris, the host of Skeptico, a compelling podcast, is here. He's also the author of Why Evil Matters, How Science and Religion Fumbled a Big One. Before that, once again, a reminder, my live web conference on digital consciousness with Jim Elvich is fast approaching. Thursday, July the 9th from 10.30 p.m. to 12 a.m. Eastern. And again, Jim Elvidge, my guest, the author of The Universe Solved and Digital Consciousness, A Transformative Vision. This will be an, a 60-minute interview followed by a 30-minute Q&A. It's taking place live over Zoom. We're limiting access to 100 participants. To register, go to strangeplanet.ca and under the Events and Appearances tab, click on Web Conferences. I'm sitting in for George Norrie Friday, July the 10th on Coast to Coast AM and then hosting again Saturday, July the 11th. Go to coasttocoastam.com for more information and to find an affiliate near you that carries the program. Why does science use quotes around evil? Why do we settle for religious answers? And if evil is around us and may be within us, what can we do about it? 
From an irreverent voice in alternative science reporting comes a novel look at a powerful force driving our culture. Alex Tsikaris shares what he's learned interviewing some of the world's most respected frontier scientists and spiritual thinkers. In a down-to-earth and sometimes brutally honest way, Alex examines why evil is brushed aside by our science-centric culture and how new developments in consciousness research might point the way to a more meaningful understanding of who we are. Alex is a successful entrepreneur turned science podcaster. In 2007, he launched Skeptico, which has become the number one podcast covering the science of human consciousness. He's appeared on many popular syndicated radio talk shows and podcasts and is well known within the parapsychology and near-death experience research communities. Alex Sakaris, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? Doing great, Richard. It's a pleasure to be here. I feel like I'm talking to uh, you know that mighty pillar of Canada's fifth estate, as you like to call it. I love that fifth estate. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, that's very kind of you. So, tell me about Skeptico. Well, Skeptico is a podcast I've been doing for oh, um, well, on past ten years now, and. I always tell people that it was a, a ruse from the beginning. It was a vehicle for me to have a chance to talk to interesting people that could answer these deep, big picture questions. And, you know, you can't just pick up a phone and call them. So you have to have a cover. And I didn't have a radio show like you did. So I had to use the magic of podcasting. You deal a lot with the science of consciousness. Why did you gravitate towards that field? Well, I was really just intrigued, which I think ultimately you are as well, with the big picture questions. Who am I? Why am I here? And it seemed to me like once you get past kind of the material stuff, which I had managed to do, those seem to be the things that matter, right? Those are the questions you need to answer. So my approach was to look at it I don't know, as rigorously as I could, and that pointed me towards science. And when I started investigating where those kind of questions fell within science, it led me to this investigation of quote-unquote consciousness. Now, what I found there in terms of how science was, I think, kind of dropping the ball there was, was different. But I, I, that was at least my approach. The name Skeptico implies that you employ skepticism or a skeptical mind when you're dealing with a subject. So do you lean one way or the other when you approach these subjects? Well, you know, Richard, it's funny. We both share, I think, some cultural background in terms of uh, the, the Greek tradition, the Greek heritage. And I chose my the name of the show really pretty randomly. You know, I was dealing with skeptics or I was interested in the ideas that skeptics were putting forth and particularly countering those with some of the things I was finding in frontier science. And I kind of picked this name and it wasn't until years later that I really bothered to look into these ancient Greek philosophers who employed skeptikos, which was the, the ethos, which I still love to this day. I think it's so great. It's inquiry to perpetuate doubt. And I ultimately think doubt is a very spiritual thing, but it turns out to be a very scientific thing as well. So that's kind of my thing, inquiry to perpetuate doubt. 
That reminds me of, I think the quote is Marshall McLuhan's, organizing ignorance for discovery. That sounds a lot like Skeptikos. I love it. I love Marshall McLuhan anyway. Wow. You know, uh, Canadian, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. I always liked his quote, you don't read the Sunday paper you get into it like a warm bath. <laughs> and of course, the Sunday paper isn't around anymore, but I think that is just as relevant to Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. People think they're interacting with the media in one way, and in another way, it is feeding our needs or satisfying needs that we have. But that's kind of a whole different topic. A lot of what we talk about has to do with where consciousness resides what is it and if it in fact exists and hard to believe there's some there's still some debate about that but if it exists where does it reside which to me is also central to so many other areas of inquiry do you have any conclusions about i know this is a huge question deserving several hours on its own but do you have any conclusions about what consciousness is and where it resides you, I, I would deconstruct that that whole question or series of questions a little bit differently because it really gets me worked up here, Richard. But one, first off, I don't think it's that difficult. We all know that consciousness exists. And to even entertain, as science has, the idea that consciousness is an illusion, it's an epiphenomenon of the brain completely, is just such a silly notion. And if we look at it historically, if we look at the best means we have of investigating things scientifically is to look at across time and across cultures, every culture across time would just look in, in, in awe at the stupidity of an idea that consciousness doesn't exist or is an illusion. In fact, we could say of it's the only thing we know for sure. It's the only thing we can say without the leap of assumption without you employing magic is to say, I am aware that I am aware. I mean, I don't know if you're aware. I don't know if you're an AI <laughs> robot. I don't, I don't know that. I know that I'm aware. Everything else is inferred, is an assumption, is appealing to magic. So I almost think the first part of your question, and it took me, <laughs> it took me years because I'm a little bit slow to come around to this stuff to really fully appreciating the conspiracy that your first part of your question reveals. And that is, how could science as we know it, the, the science that our kids get when we send them to school, how can they be perpetuating, propping up this, you are a biological robot in a meaningless universe meme when it doesn't work philosophically? It certainly fails scientifically over and over and over again in almost every experiment we look at. How is this maintained? How does it have the momentum to say, well, let's have a serious discussion about whether consciousness is an illusion? It, it's really kind of baffling in a way, but then th that is the nature of conspiracies ultimately. All conspiracies are somewhat baffling in terms of how they ever reach the level that they do. And that conspiracy as to how this meme perpetuates, 
may be the, at the root of all conspiracies. And you mentioned, you know, how it has failed philosophically, logically, and so forth. It's also failed as socially. If you perpetuate this idea, as you say, that we are meat puppets, that life is random and, and everything really ultimately is meaningless, why are we surprised with the, the laundry list of societal ills, hopelessness and despair and suicide and, and murder, which really leads into your, your upcoming project, Why Evil Matters? It does, but I think we have to pause right there, too, because as you will fully appreciate, has it failed or has it succeeded would be the question. Because, and I've heard you speak about this so eloquently, and especially speak about it. You know, one thing, I, I just did want to kind of pause for a second and get your opinion on something. I know it's a little bit out of sync with this. But, you know, at times like this, that we're in right now, when there's a whole bunch of new people that I think are reeling and falling down the rabbit hole, maybe for the first time in their lives. And I think they turn to like the body of work that you've generated and the deep kind of subtle, you know, thinking you've done on conspiracies and how states operate and about how rights are, 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 kind of in play for some of these people. I just wonder if there isn't an opportunity for the kind of work that you've done over the years to be kind of this new foundation for people to build like, because don't you think there is that kind of reeling for the first time for people where they're going, oh my gosh, is, is anything real? And then they come and they go, oh, oh, here's somebody who's looked at this for 20 years, you know? Right. Do you have any uh, thoughts on that? Well, I would hesitate. Are you finding that? Are you finding people that are kind of newly kind of woken up because of all the stuff that's happened and they're like, wow, for the first time in their life, they're going, what is going on? Yes. And it goes back, I think, to Edward Snowden when a lot of those revelations started coming out about, yes, the NSA is spying on us and, and so forth. And I remember a headline that ran in the Washington Times, I think it was the New Year's edition, 2013, 2014, and the headline was, it was kind of a year in review, and it stated something like, 2013 or 2014, the year your paranoid uncle was proven right. And it went on to talk about conspiracies and how a lot of these things are coming true. And then certainly since in the Trump era, terms like deep state, globalist versus the nation state. All of that has new currency, but it's been things, those are, are, are terms that we've bandied about on, you know, on programs in this field for a couple of decades. I don't want to say I feel vindicated because vindication has kind of a positive connotation. There's nothing positive about being proven right in some of these areas. But yes, I think more people are waking up to, at least at a very basic level, that things are not what they appear. And my Lord, if there's ever a lesson to be gleaned from the last four or five years, that is that the mainstream media, at the very least, are lying by omission. So I guess that's the takeaway. Certainly this year, the last six, seven months, this is sort of where the rubber meets the road in terms of a lot of the things we've been talking about. Yeah, because I think I heard you recently, I, I think very succinctly and properly put this in perspective in terms of a control mechanism. And I guess that what sprung me off on that is when you talked about, you know, my 
statement that maybe this scientific conspiracy, this conspiracy of scientific materialism, the attempt to jam down our throats the idea that don't even think of yourself as being more, as being some kind of spiritual being, whatever that means to you. Don't even think about that because you're just a biological robot in a meaningless universe. And then you related it to kind of the failure socially that some of us see. And then, but if you spin it back to what you're talking about in terms of control mechanism, hey, maybe it's just exactly what you want. Keep them afraid. Keep them very, very uh, materialistic. Keep them very dumbed down. I mean, in a lot of ways, it, it fits perfectly in the playbook the scientific materialism does. You're right. It does feed into their, their, <laughs> they, their, whoever they are, uh, their game plan. But I, I, I mean, I guess a failure from the perspective of the masses, humanity, our brothers and sisters. But for the controllers, absolutely, it, it plays into their hands 100%. Let's talk about why evil matters, how science and religion fumbled a big one. This is coming out in October, I believe. Yes, although we'll see because everyone I talk to and listen to, including yourself, propels me kind of like, oh my gosh, I haven't quite wrapped that point up. I need to round the curve on that one again. But, you know, basically the idea of that book, you know, you were, we were talking about consciousness, which I think is awesome. And I love the way that you laid that foundation because you get it. The first book that I wrote was a book a few years ago when it was titled Why Science is Wrong About Almost Everything. Really, uh, titled it wins the hearts and minds of a lot of people. <laughs> but the basic premise of the book was that if you get consciousness wrong, then you can't really get anything right. If you fall into this idea that, you know, from a physics standpoint, from a quantum physics standpoint, and I'm not talking about the woo-woo quantum physics that people throw around in mystical sense. I'm talking about the quantum physics that's in your freaking iPhone and that gets satellites up in the air and is the, the, the foundational math for all the technology we have. That physics is based on a, a, a knowing sidestep of the question of how entangled we are with this universe and whether we are whether our consciousness is affecting the experiment if you will so anyone who knows like the double slit experiment that's what that's all about mm -hmm. is that if you observe it if your consciousness is there golly gee the result is all all different so the 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 premise of that first book was just to say you can't sidestep that. I mean, you can for a while and say, okay, we build this, we build that. But you got to, at some point, go back and say, we never really <laughs> we never really wrestled to the ground the fact that when we look, it measures one way, and when we don't look, it measures another way. So that was the premise of that first book. And I'd say the, the premise of this second book, why, I mean, uh, why, why evil matters, is that if you don't get evil right, if you're not willing to examine these extended consciousness realms, I call them, you know, like, so we have our conscious experience that's inside our head. But as soon as we 
acknowledge that, wow, there seems to be a lot of evidence that there's other stuff going on, whether it's psychic or near-death experience or afterlife encounters or past life, whatever it is. You take all that stuff and bundle it up and say, there's some kind of extended consciousness out there that we need to at least acknowledge. And I would suggest that if we're not willing to look at evil as maybe a lens for looking into that, then you can't really get spirituality right. And again, spirituality, however you define it, you know, I'm not a religious person, I'm not a Christian, I was brought up Greek Orthodox, I have a lot of ideas about beliefs and how we hold on to those beliefs, but that's just where I am now, uh, that's just where I am now. But the idea that we have some kind of spiritual connection to this extended realm seems to be an undeniable fact that most people just accept out of hand. And if we're not willing, uh, that's my point, is that I think evil and, and, and a, a really level-headed, as best we can, examination of evil has a role to play, and that's why it matters. So it's not a book about, you know, what is evil, what isn't evil, quantifying evil. It's a book about why it matters, why we shouldn't sidestep it. But further to that, regardless of the god or the the creator or the the architect that that one subscribes to or the higher intelligence if you don't acknowledge that presence or at least respect it you don't ever necessarily even have to buy into it but it, unless you acknowledge it the important underpinning there then if there is no higher authority then evil or right and wrong is just an opinion and so Without the higher authority, there there is no right or wrong. Would you agree with that? Well, that's one way of looking at it. But again, I, I, I try if I can. I, I want to get there and I want to come back to that. But I'm going to take a step back and again, just pound on this why it matters thing. So look where we're situated, like where we talked about at the beginning. We're dealing, where, where would we go for the answer on evil, like the question you just posed? Let's say we turn to science. Let's say we turn to the hard sciences. Well, as we just talked about, they're in complete denial. They're like, you, you're, you're, that doesn't even, there's no way it could exist because consciousness doesn't exist. Hard science is saying, no, it's an illusion. There isn't even any consciousness. I'm not even going to entertain your thoughts about extended consciousness and how evil might fit into that extended consciousness. I'm stopping you at the gate and saying consciousness doesn't exist. It's an absurd idea. It's a conspiracy, but yet that is it. And then if we look to religion and we look at how religion has been all the examples of where, where religion has been corrupted. So if you can take out whatever your personal religion is, whoever's listening, you can at least look around and say, wow, that religion sure seemed to have been corrupted and a lot of people are doing not what they said they were supposed to do. And, and so the idea that there is this one body of knowledge that has all the answers over here and it's embodied in some religion, I think most people have a sense that yeah, that's probably not exactly where I want to look for my answers either. And then look at the space that's left. I mean, you're kind of squished, you know? You're like Indiana Jones in that movie where the, you know, the walls on each side are crushing you in. You can't look to science. You can't look to religion. How do you answer 
some of these questions. And uh, I'd like to hear your thought on that. And then we can get back to the moral imperative, you know, <clears throat> which is a great question. You know, is there God? Is there the way I like to put it, Richard? And I'll, I guess I will throw this on the table. You know, is there a hierarchy to consciousness? That's the question I always kind of lead into with people who are more atheistic, because I'm the atheism seems like the ultimate kind of brain dead kind of state to be in. But the thing I always say is, okay, so consciousness, we know you got tricked into believing that it's an illusion. So now you acknowledge it's not an illusion. Now, when you start looking at consciousness and we look at these extended consciousness, gee, over and over again, they seem to be saying that there's some sort of hierarchy to this consciousness. Well, if there's a hierarchy to consciousness, then there's a moral imperative. If there's a moral imperative, well, you're just talking about God now. It's just a matter of semantics. Well, at this stage, I'm most comfortable talking about or referring to the pinnacle of this hierarchy as God. Maybe the labels don't matter so much, or they'll they'll matter less as we evolve spiritually. But right now, I guess I'm maybe it's I'm in K level or grade one. I don't know, but. That's what makes most sense to me at this stage. I look at, again, so for what's going on around the world right now, all this tumultuousness, and I just think people are missing an important, the most important fundamental point in terms of at least how we operate in, in, a, in Western civilization. And that is whether or not you agree that there is a hierarchy to this consciousness or there is a God, unless you at least are willing to accept its importance, then we're in trouble because everything else unravels. I mean, that is, it's so interwoven with, with Western civilization. Yes, the Enlightenment is important, but there's this tension between the Age of Enlightenment and also spirituality. And unless they dance together, you can't extract one from the other or the whole thing falls apart. If you take the religion out, then you have this authoritarian materialist mindset that gave rise to the, the Soviet Union and communist China. If you take out the enlightenment, then you're left with theocracy and you end up with Iran. So you need both. I think there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of people who are thinking the same way. And, and I get that. I don't agree with it, but I, I, I get it. You know, I'll tell you one story from the book that I think is meaningful to me or one interview from the book that is meaningful to me, although I haven't fully processed it. And it was with this guy who's a clinical psychologist in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And he was a clinical psychologist for, oh, 25 years before retiring. And he was, his name is Dr. Tom Zinzer. And he's, you know, Certainly qualified, you know, PhD, Texas A&M, worked in the state hospital and all this stuff. He starts seeing patients. And the way I always like to tell the story, because I think it's so meaningful, you know, is he was frustrated. He was ready to give it up because he was seeing patients and working with patients, trying to make them better, you know, as a people helper like clinical psychologists are. And he wasn't successful. One day, a part-time secretary says, Tom, I can't help but say that I overheard you talking about your out-of-body experience and the Monroe Institute with your colleagues. She goes, you need to talk to this spirit entity that I've been talking to. So Tom's a pretty open-minded guy. It sounds pretty wacky, but he's like, look, you know, I'm just about clinical psychology. I'm about helping people. I feel confident that I can, you know, do my thing and hear all sorts of ideas. So I'll hear ideas from your channeled spirit. 
What follows is a series of consultations where Tom winds up getting specific advice about his patients, many of whom are experiencing different kinds of disassociative identity disorder. Many of them have been in satanic ritual abuse cults. It just so happens, not all of them, but a lot of those people that are traumatized in that way seek professional help, as we can all appreciate, to try and put their life back together. So Tom starts receiving specific information about how to help these people heal spiritually. And that's a lot to kind of take in. So I'll kind of jump to the end of the story. And Tom turns out he had been listening to my show, which I think is awesome. And he sent me this email and he said, Alex, you don't know crap about darkness and evil. And he didn't actually say it in those terms because he's a super nice guy. But he said, look, which I'll just bounce this off you. And Tom is not the kind of guy to be uh, preachy. He's very methodical in the way that he goes about it. He realizes that as soon as he even explored this, he was outside off reservation in terms of psychology per se, but he still used all his training to try and understand this. And here's his map. Really, there's just the light There's just the hierarchy. There's just God, to put it in your terms. And God allows the darkness because God allows everything. And there is that gravitational pull that is darkness. But that's not evil. Evil is our attraction to the darkness. And it is specifically the acts we do that, I guess the best term I'd use, that are soul crushing to another free willed soul that is trying to make their way along the journey. So the, the people who he see, he saw in his practice that had been subjected to many at uh, just unbelievably young age, you know, six, seven, eight, nine satanic ritual abuse that was intentionally designed to crush their soul in some way. That is certainly evil. And it might be worth taking a look at what that evil is from not only a material perspective, but also from a spiritual perspective. And I would suggest that freeing ourselves or freeing myself, freeing myself from a purely Christian only interpretation of that gives me an opportunity to kind of explore how that might really work and how ultimately how we might be more effective in dealing with it. More of my conversation with author podcaster Alex Tsikaris when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. There's never been a more important time to focus on our physical well-being, build up our natural immune system, and take control of our health. That's why the mighty Aphrodite and I take a tablespoon of ESS-60 from C60 Evo 
every morning. ESS-60 is the consumable form of carbon-60, the miracle molecule discovered by Nobel Prize winning chemists. ESS-60 from C60 Evo is the purest form of ESS-60 on the market. They produce the formula of ESS-60 that was used in a landmark animal longevity study in Paris, where rats that were fed ESS-60 lived twice their natural lifespans, twice. ESS-60 from C60 Evo is 172 times more powerful than vitamin C. It's truly a mega antioxidant. How does it make me feel? Well, I'm 56 years old and I'm pain-free. Pain-free. My energy levels are through the roof and I sleep like a baby. The mighty Aphrodite is noticing the exact same benefits. ESS-60 delivers better health mental clarity, and immune support. Experience the benefits for yourself. To order, go to the notes for this episode and click on the C60 Evo link. Save 5% on your order by entering the code RS1SPEC. RS1SPEC. And if you order based on a monthly refill, you'll save even more. Get your bottle of this miracle molecule ESS60 today from C60 Evo and again, Go to the episode notes for this podcast and click on the C60 Evo link. Then enter the code RS1SPEC to start saving. This product has not been evaluated by the FDA and is not intended to treat, diagnose, or cure. If you have a medical concern, please consult your healthcare provider. Theoretical physicists say that there is as many as 12 hyperdimensions. Here are just three of them. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Pretty cool, huh? Uh, here's an extra one. Conspiracy Unlimited. Hey, how about one more? Conspiracy Unlimited. And the great thing is we have six hyperdimensions left. Conspiracy Unlimited. Five. Alex Sakaris, the author of Why Evil Matters, is here. I wanted to ask you about something you address in your upcoming book, Why Evil Matters. And this is a topic I recently discussed with two filmmakers, Wes and Justin Fall. It's the subject of their recent documentary titled Higher Entities, and it has to do with rocket scientist Jack Parsons, the co-founder of the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, and L. Ron Hubbard, of course, the founder of Scientology. Uh, both were devotees of the nefarious occultist Aleister Crowley. And according to the story, Parsons and Hubbard attempted to replicate a black magic ritual, the Babylon working, uh, performed by Crowley, for the purposes of opening up some kind of uh, interdimensional portal. Uh, to summon a demon, perhaps uh, the Antichrist, now, according to the story, the opening of this portal around 1947 gave rise to the modern-day UFO ET phenomenon. But I would just—I was interested in in what your thoughts are. What might have happened? Well, you know, the only thing I'd pull up a little bit short on is the the UFO interpretation. I certainly don't dismiss it out of hand. And uh, one thing my investigation has proven to me conclusively is the connection between our examination of the ET phenomenon and our work in like MK Ultra, MK Often, where we actually, we being the U.S. intelligence organization, dabbled in the satanic, dabbled in the occult, and dabbled is the wrong word. I mean, they were like, hey, whatever works. You want to bring in a satanic priest to see if they can, you know, connect 
do it, whatever we do, whatever, it's okay. And the same thing with MKUltra, which you're familiar with. There's evidence, you know, Grant Cameron is a terrific UFO researcher. Do you know Grant? Oh, yes, very well. Okay, so, and I think Grant was one of the first researchers to point out the connection between um, Wilbert Smith, who was the leading kind of Canadian, how would you describe it? He's kind of at the, not the UFO desk, he's at the desk for all the stuff that's in the air, whether it's, you know, radio or whatever. But he's at that desk, I think it's back in the 50s, and he starts getting all these reports. And he goes to his boss, and the boss says, hey, you know, I, I see the same thing you're saying. Yeah, these reports are coming in. Tell you what, why don't you hop on a plane, go on down north there and see what those guys know. So he does it. He goes down and the U.S. says, yeah. And the reason we know that they said it is that Wilbert Smith comes back and he writes a memo to his boss. And the memo is released. You've probably covered this on the show. Yes. Mm -hmm. The the, the memo says, yes, (laughs) this is the most secretive, highest priority issue for the U.S. is this investigation into UFOs. But then what Grant Cameron really deserves the credit for is there's one little line that everyone missed at the end where it says they believe that is connected with mental phenomena. Mm-hmm. So the the implication being – so what Grant kind of sends us wondering is MK Ultra. Is that maybe about trying to understand that mental phenomenon? Because E.T. seems to understand it. E.T. seems to have a leg up on it. That's maybe the look into the occult is to say, hey, we got to get out there in this extended consciousness realm and try and figure it out. So a long way around the barn because you asked a question. I just wanted to pull up that I'm not totally down with the fact that, you know, that opened up a portal in 1947 and that that's who the aliens are and no no i was simply sort of i was simply sort of summarizing the theory that's out there and and that's been offered up on my program and so forth i'm not necessarily connecting those dots but yeah so well then i'm i'm sorry for maybe taking it way off in a different direction but here's my take and i'd be interested (laughs) i I think we're going to be totally on the same page on this but i'm interested in your take the reason i brought it up because i interviewed this guy who is a, a, a well-respected professor at Ohio State University in the religions department, and he wrote this book on Scientology, and uh, calling it a new religion. And I talked to him, and he, uh, he says, look, Alex, yeah, I got the evidence. It really did happen. Just as you said, Jack Parsons, who was number one you know, crony of Aleister Crowley in the United States, student, student worshipped Crowley, thought he was so, so cool, so great. And L. Ron Hubbard, who was just as attached to all of Crowley's crazy, and Crowley, for anyone who doesn't know, despite the washing over that's been done of him in the culture, and isn't he cool, you know, was just a despicable person by all accounts, you know. Even the people who have read his stuff go, yeah, well, he is really a despicable person, but didn't he write interesting stuff, which is always kind of an interesting thing to me to kind of ex- explain away that. But I digress again. Hugh Urban, Ohio State University, says, yes, I can confirm through my research that it really did happen. They were trying to summon the, whole, the whore of Babylon so that they could bring, bring forth the Antichrist and ultimately have some influence on the world. And I say, okay, Hugh, doesn't that concern you on some level? Especially doesn't concern you because – as I explained, I said, what about it has seems to have these direct connections with MK Ultra that we've talked about, right? I mean, 
it's, it is connected. And he said, you know, it does. I, I run across a lot of weird stuff. It doesn't matter if it's true. It only matters what they believe. And, and this is really the point of my book, Why Evil Matters, is I said, no, Dr. Urban, you have it completely wrong. The first thing that matters is, is there potentially any reality to the extended consciousness realms they're talking about and their attempt to connect with them? That is first and foremost what matters most. Then secondly, yeah, if they believe what they believe, how their belief affects it. But the first thing is, is there any there there to talk about? Right. Because there seems to be a heck of a lot of evidence that suggests that there is some there there, even if you don't want to put some value judgment on it, or if you don't want to put, see it through this religious lens or that one. What do, what do you think? I, I agree. That is the most fundamental question. It reminds me when authors write books about conspiracy theory and they they don't talk about the evidence they don't talk about the possibility these things might be happening their whole purpose is let's climb inside the minds of the people that believe these things and find out what's wrong with them right right so yes the the first of all you you have to follow the evidence and and you have to first establish whether this is real or it's not. Whether or not people believe it, as you say, that's secondary. If there's evidence, you know, that there are other dimensions and there are portals and that we can connect or contact these other entities, that's got to be the, the starting point here. I agree. And I, I just think, you know, not that it's a big deal or not that people really care about the soft sciences and what religious studies or history departments in the United States and Canada think but I think it is important every once in a while to tell people, to show people just how ridiculous <laughs> this stuff is inside. There's just, we have no hope of getting any real answers from that group. Not because they're dumb people. I'll tell you what, Hugh Urban, I have, he, he, you know, one of the sense I get from Hugh Urban is that he's much smarter. He knows all this stuff is true. He's just trapped in a system. Because at the same time, his hobby is he's exploring, you know, these complex, uh, not complex, but he's, you know, getting boots on the ground in India with this group who's has this long history with Tantra. And he's saying, yes, I have to kind of engage in their culture and stuff like that. So he's in the soup. But when he puts on this hat over here and he publishes and he represents himself as a professor at Ohio State University, what comes out is this complete gobbledygook. And we're like, how are we ever going to make any progress if you have to hold to this silliness? <laughs> that kind of discussion simply is not allowed in, in, the, in the halls of academia. I want to move on to the subject of uh, near-death experiences, which you also address in the book. This is another area that materialists are quick to mock and dismiss, and yet there's this mountain of anecdotal evidence across all cultures throughout history. And it's, it's not just science that won't look at the evidence. Also, many organized religions, they seem embarrassed by the near-death experience, which I don't understand, because for me, it's, it's an affirmation of my faith. It's an affirmation of the existence of an afterlife. What are your thoughts on why uh, science and religion are not interested in examining this phenomenon. Well, it's interesting that you're kind of folding that into the conversation because I think it fits perfectly with this discussion we've been having about what's seen and not seen from a conspiratorial standpoint and 
what might really be behind that. I think when it comes to near-death experience, science and experiences, the way they're being reported, it isn't really a conspiracy in the way that we're talking about. But in, a, in another way, it, it is in that everyone learns kind of what they can get by with without being totally challenged and ground into the dirt, you know? So when it comes to near-death experience, there's been kind of a lot of shying away from the God thing, from the hierarchy of consciousness thing, which is just throughout the the literature, right? And one of my favorite near-death experience researchers, if you can have favorites of those kind of things, is a guy named Dr. Jeff Long, who has compiled the largest database of near-death experiences, and he's a medical doctor, which most of the near-death experience researchers are. That's how they broke through the blockade that we're talking about, because medicine has a way of just kind of going around that. You know, they either start your heart back up or they don't. You know, you can't really argue. And then then they publish with how they got it going. And, you know, there's not a lot of philosophical debate on that. So Jeff is a radiation oncologist, builds up his practice down in Yuma, Louisiana, outside of New Orleans. And he's always had this fascination with near-death experience. Because ever since he was in school, he ran across these cases that he read. And he would he told me that he would like go to his buddies and say, hey, what, what do you make of this? This guy said that his patient died on the table and then came back and said that they saw this. And then and I said, hey, man, I'm, not, I'm studying for the exam. You know, <laughs> don't, don't worry about that stuff. But Jeff always worried about it. Jeff was always interested in it. So later on, he built this with his wife, built this very important medically reviewed database of near-death experiences. And maybe I'm bearing the lead here, but his second book, New York Times bestseller, is all about how God comes through in the majority of these near-death experiences. That's what people are talking about 90% of the time. They're talking about, your term, God, my term, this hierarchy of consciousness, and again, you know, the reason why, short answer for the reason why Christians don't embrace it, like I had one guy on who, near-death experiencer who wrote a book, and he goes around all these churches and says, hey, I had a Christian near-death experience, and if, tell you what, if you didn't see Jesus in yours, then your near-death experience is probably satanic, because mine had Jesus in it, and all the really good ones have Jesus in it. I, I'm not down with that. I think that's a co-opting of the near-death experience in a really distorted way because the larger body of that near-death experience research is kind of cuts both ways with Christianity because it isn't Christian first. It isn't Christian centered. It isn't Christian the, the, the most in the near-death experience accounts, but we bury the lead here a little bit because what does come through is that there is a moral imperative. There is that right and wrong that we all feel. There is that good within us. There is that divine spark within us. It comes through over and over consistently. Like if you want to put science on it, like 90%, it comes through in these near-death experiences. And even in the hellish near-death experiences, which there are, they really fit kind of back into the Tom Zinzer model, which is like, yeah, there's some darkness there, but don't ever forget. It's all allowed because of the light and the light is always shining. It never is extinguished. So, you know, whatever lessons you need to learn, however you need to play the game, 
you play it. But that's the basic message that comes through. And it is underreported in that spiritual sense. People like to talk about the medical part of it. Why Evil Matters, How Science and Religion Fumbled a Big One, pre-orders available at Amazon.com, and how do people listen to Skeptico, the podcast? Alex? Skeptico, you just have to spell it with a K on the end, S-K-E-P-T-I-K-O, and you'll find it. It's all for free. Get whatever you want. No ads, no thought, and just hope you enjoy it. Well, thanks so much for hanging out. It was great meeting you. I hope we can do this again. Richard, it's been an absolute pleasure. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back on the other side with a few words about an upcoming episode. That time of the week to bring Colleen Forges on. She's our nutritional therapist and our manager at the Strange Planet Full Script Dispensary. Hello once again, Colleen. Hi, Richard. I was just browsing on the, uh, the Full Script Dispensary site and I saw something called Deep Manos. What is that? D-Manos, by a company called Pure Encapsulations, is a product that's a sugar actually derived from cranberries and pineapples, and it's designed to support a healthy urinary function. It's particularly useful for people who have a tendency towards urinary tract infection, so it's something that can be taken as a maintenance, or it can also be used when someone is experiencing the symptoms of a urinary tract infection to help eliminate that. And how do you take that? Is it a pill? It's in, actually in a powder, so you just mix a little bit of powder in water and drink it, and it actually has a really good flavor. Fantastic. D-Manos for urinary tract infections. Colleen, we'll talk again soon. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. To get your D-Manos, go to strangeplanet.ca and click on the full script dispensary button. Remember, all orders receive 10% off, and orders of $50 or more ship absolutely free. These products have not been evaluated by the FDA and are not intended to treat, diagnose, or cure. If you have a medical concern, please consult your healthcare provider. Coming up next time on Conspiracy Unlimited, a retired firefighter and private citizen takes on political and judicial corruption in Canada. This country is so corrupt through and through. It's corrupt on every level of government. And seeing Trudeau did what he did, and the whole SNC Lavalin, Jody Wilson-Raybould affair, and I said the RCMP is not going to investigate. I actually went to RCMP headquarters and wrote them a letter about the uh, corruption and SNC-Lavalin, and uh, they refused to investigate. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. <laughs> <laughs>